Well, well, well. We've been talking about miracles. The last couple of times I've been with you, and as crazy as it sounds to some, we really do believe that miracles still happen. Um, it's okay to struggle here, though. If you're a person that says, man, I don't know. I don't know how all this works. Seems a little sketchy to me. Understand that faith is only faith in a dimension where faith is hard. There's some aspects of faith that are a little wild, that are kind of leapish. <laughs> they're beyond reason. Even though they're reasonable, they're beyond the scope of reason. You can't just by reason figure all of this out. At some point, you get to the very edge of reason, and there's got to be a bit of a leap. And so it's understandable why some people have struggles with their faith. I mean, we're committed to someone we've never seen. We believe in things and embrace things that it's, 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 it's impossible to prove, at least empirically, that they're true. And so we've got to sort of go by the, this sense of pulling. In fact, it's so difficult that the Bible says faith needs a gifting from God. That God has to place in you a capacity. Paul says not everyone has faith because they haven't been given this capacity. Aren't you glad for the gift, right? But it takes a while to figure this out. And sometimes you're, you know, doubt is pervasive. It's, it's not a problem. Remember the guy told Jesus one time, Jesus said to him, do you believe? He said, yeah, kind of. He says, I believe, but help thou my unbelief. See, you can believe and still be doubting at the same time. It's just a messy business, right? And yet there's something that, that's, that's uh, in us that have crossed the threshold of faith that nudges us to a kind of certainty, although it isn't really a certainty, That something's right about this. And our experience as we move toward it, there's good that appears. And we look back on it and we say, oh my gosh, it's reasonable to trust God. In fact, it's good to trust God because I think God actually wants us to leap in faith and to trust him when it is difficult to do so. Interesting text that's been our principal text. This is Second Chronicles 25 and the prophet dude is talking to a king of Israel. And the king's assessing a situation, trying to figure out what would work, what wouldn't work, if he had enough of what he needed to have. And the prophet looked at the king and he said to him, the Lord has much more to give you than this. The Lord has much more to give you than this. Here's, here's the question that I'm asking in this series. What if that's true? What if the Lord has much more to give us than what we're currently seeing? What if there's, in, in philosophical language, what if there's a telos? In other words, what if there's an end game, a dream that God has for you and for me? And something that we're part of that's bigger than us and better than what we're seeing right now. What if the Lord has much more to do and to give us than what you're seeing right now? What if some of the disorder, some of the darkness, some of the void, some of the emptiness that you're currently seeing. What if God wants to creatively move things to a new place in your life and in my life? And what if we have something to do with that? That's what this series is about. Uh, We were talking last time about the notion of how Christians view the world. And what the Christian story basically is, is that in the beginning, God created this, this dimension, this physical, materialistic dimension, and that he created it with an end in mind with a purpose now there are people that look at the world and they say it's just materialistic there is no god he didn't create it he's not involved what do they call themselves they call themselves atheists right a 
meaning without, theists meaning God. So they're atheists, they're non-God. They don't believe God's engaged or involved. We're theists. Theists believes, believe that God is involved and that he's involved within the context of the world, not only creating it, but that he is somehow present in it. We refer to it as eminence. And eminence means that God jumped into the deal. And he's right smack dab in it with us. Now we get this whole notion of God's being present in our world and involved with our world from the opening verses of sacred text. Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the stuff, right? And yet the stuff was a little formless, a little bit empty, darkness is over the surface of the deep sidebar point even though God creates and even though God's involved that doesn't mean there isn't some formlessness emptiness and darkness in fact as you look at the scripture you understand that oftentimes things are formless and they're dark and they're empty and God's still smack in the middle of it not that he wants it to be formless not that he wants it to be empty not that he wants it to be dark but he's there And that's what he says here. He says it's formless, it's empty, it's dark, and the surface of the deep, and yet the Spirit of God was hovering. So not only do you have God in this, he's hovering over this. It's called imminence and transcendence, as God's beyond it. He's bigger than it. (laughs) And he's hovering. That word hovering literally means to brood. The image is the hen over the eggs, waiting. See that hen that's sitting there hovering over those eggs, brooding over those eggs? That hen has a vision, right? It's baby chicks. There's an expectation in that hen's heart that those, something's going to happen. That's the imagery. Is it God is sitting on the earth <laughs> and he's brooding over the earth and over your life. Jesus talked about it in Acts 1. He said, when the Holy Spirit comes and he falls on the earth, he said, you'll be changed. There'll be power in your life. In other words, he'll come again to brood over human lives so that our emptiness will get full, so that our darkness will become light, so that our formlessness will become formed so that we would have the miracle of creation in our lives. That's what we're talking about, this aspect, this notion of miracles. The biblical claim is that God longs, hovers over our lives. He longs to bring change to bear in us and in our circumstances. In other words, he loves to rescue. That's what miracles are all about. Now, there are different kinds of miracles. We were talking about last time, this notion, uh, these different miracles that are iterated in Christian theology and the one kind we focused on last time was imminent miracles. Again, that word imminence, it just simply means God's in the stuff. And imminent miracles are miracles that everyone gets in on, even people who have no faith. There are miracles that everyone gets in on. They just don't even know they're in on it. The very creation is a miracle. Um, according to Jesus, Jesus said in Matthew 5, but I tell you the truth, love your enemies and pray for people you'd rather curse. Pray for people you don't want to pray for. Right? And he says, why? Why would you do that? Because then you'll be children. You'll be just like your dad. You'll be children of your father in heaven. He, our father in heaven, he causes sun to rise, not just on good people, but evil people. He sends rain, which is, which is what helps bring harvest and good in the world. 
He sends it to righteous people and unrighteous people. What's he saying? There's this reckless, incautious gesture of kindness in God that's common to humanity. And it is a miracle according to Jesus. Paul picks up on this in Acts 14 and in Acts 17. And he says to the pagans, you know, these people that are worshiping false gods, you know, they, they, things happen and they're attributing it to, you know, they sacrifice somebody to this false god and that's why they had a good harvest. And Paul said, no, 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 you guys, you, you got it mixed up. And the gospel became a decoder ring to help them see what was really going on in the world. It, these good things that go on in your life, Paul tells them, He says, they're going on in your life because God is good and because God is involved with your life and there's more, he's telling them. In fact, Paul makes this amazing statement. He said, God is the one, he's telling these pagan people, who's giving you all the harvests that you've had. He's given you the sunshine and the rain, like Jesus said. And then Paul went on to say, he's also the one responsible for all the good that you know. In other words, every time they, 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 they have a laugh and something's fun or every time they pick up a baby and they smile and they feel that connection and the innocence that children have. Every time they fall in love and, and experience the joy of connecting a life together and all of those joys of life are God blessing them. Bringing them miraculous. This is eminent miracles. Everybody gets to participate on this. It's the good of the world. It's God's common grace. But let's take that a step forward for us as believers. Those of us who have crossed the threshold of faith. We still have imminent miracles. We need to recognize them. What do I mean by that? We need to recognize, and it may be hard to grasp, but it's what Pastor Latham said just a few moments ago. That God is right in our lives. The good, the bad, the ugly. He's there. He's present. Now, he's not causal of the ugly. You got ugly all on your own. <laughs> no, there's uglies in your life. But the point is, is God's not trying to bring pain into our lives. Right? But when he's present, that doesn't mean everything changes instantly. God is present even when things are not good. He was present in the creation when things were void and formless and dark. He was still present. He's present in your lives. In fact, the psalmist said, you're a very present help in times of trouble. It's counterintuitive for us because we think if he was very present helping, there wouldn't be trouble. (coughs) Or uh, when the the psalmist said that uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He says, "You, you, you, you walk with me through the valley of the shadow of death. Thou art with me in the, sh- in the valley of the shadow of death. You think, if God was really with me, there'd be no way I'd be in that particular valley. Right? I'd be on a mountaintop somewhere if God were really with me. And we forget to understand, no, no, no. God is, where faith in the miraculous starts is that God is with me now, here, in this circumstance, he's with me. It may be formless, may be void, there may be darkness, but he's still hovering. He's present. In fact, that's one of the things, key aspects of the Lord's prayer that he taught the disciples when he said, pray this way, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Pray this way, our Father who art in heaven, literally means our Father who art in the heavens, literally means our Father who is omnipresent, which means he's present everywhere in everything, wrapped into it all. When you say our Father who art in the heavens, you're saying, God, thank you that my day, you're all up in my day. You're all inside and wrapped all the way around every conversation I have. And you are, you're even, you're even in the relationship that I have with that person at work that I'm sure is a cousin of the Antichrist. (laughs) It's crazy. It's formless. It's void. And it's in the land of the suck. 
but you're present. So I'm telling you, there's something very, very, very powerful about acknowledging God's presence in the midst of what's going on right now, even though it's not what you think should be going on. A troubled marriage, a troubled relationship with a friend, a family member, to just stop and say, God, you understand this. You're in it. You're in this with me, but you're here. And I believe you have much more for me than this. But you're here. I was just at a hospital bed last week. This gal in our church in Tulsa, in our community in Tulsa, she uh, is a rock star prayer person. I mean, you'd never expect, I mean, she's just an amazing lady, gracious heart, generous heart, kindest heart. I mean, she's just, an, just, you know, she's a saint. You know, I look at her, I think, man, I should get saved. <laughs> and she's at the hospital room. Things are not going well. The doctors, what they're doing isn't working well. She's having to take transfusions. Things are not, it's, it's just, it, it, everything she's praying, it's not happening. And I walked in her room, standing over her bed with her and her husband. And I said, listen to me. I said, Jesus is as present in this moment with all of this dysfunction and emptiness going on as he would be if there was a flash of light and you jumped out of the bed completely healed. He is as present with you now as if that happened. Because God's presence is not dependent on circumstances. It's not dependent on emotions. He is here. And where you start is you grasp that and you rest in that. Because here's the reality. If you're not careful, you will pray and ask God to do miracles because you hate your life. But we get to love our lives even if we're in prison. We get to love our lives even when we're in heartache. There's something about the Christian experience that we can have joy irrespective of circumstances. The expectation of good even when everything seems to be dark and void and formless. That's where our faith lands. See, Jesus, very provocative. Jesus is the one who in... um, Matthew 25, it's the only text where he actually talks about salvation at the end of the world. You know, he, he's bringing up this issue and, and talking about how he separates the sheep from the goats. And, and when he iterates why that happened, why, did, why is he doing that? He said, I'll tell you why you're sheep. Because when I was hungry, you fed me. And when I was naked, you clothed me. When I was poor, you took care of me. When I was in prison, you visited me. And they're scratching their heads saying, What? When, were, when did we see you hungry? When were you ever naked? When, when, did you, when were you ever in prison? How did, and he said, well, when you did this to others, you did it to me. What's he saying? He's saying, I'm present with the poor, even though they're poor. I'm present with the sick, even while they're sick. I'm present with those in prison while they're in prison. Now, does he want them in prison? Does he want them sick? Does he want them? No. It's not God's ultimate dream, but that doesn't mean he's not right there. He's with you. Don't be tricked and think, well, you know, he's not with me or things would be better. Don't think that way or you will lock yourself out of the miraculous. And you won't walk into the place where you'll say, my goodness, God really did have much more for me than this. So that's the first kind of miracle, imminent. Second kind of miracle is the spiritual kind of miracle. Thank you. You will not lose your reward. (laughs) Because I was thirsty. Second kind of miracle is a spiritual kind. Sometimes people just, we forget about this. But spiritual miracles are spirit, they're, they're miracles. 
first one's the new birth. <laughs> it's this notion. Jesus said, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, no one can even see the kingdom of God. You can't even perceive it. If you're not, if you don't get born again, he's talking about awakening inside. He's talking about something awakening in us that wasn't awake. He's talking about something that comes to life in us that wasn't alive. Somehow when you cross the threshold of faith, when you somehow open your heart up to God and you take that sort of leap of faith, even though there's uncertainty and you don't know everything that's going on about it, but when you open your heart and move toward him, something awakens in you. And dude, that's a miracle, capital M. A miracle happens in you. Paul... Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, therefore, if any person is in Christ, that person becomes a new creation, a new birth, a new creation. The old is gone. The influences of your past can no longer dominate your future. New comes. New things come. I'll never forget. 1970, Christmas 1970, Christmas, actually it was Christmas Eve 1970, and I was at a, a party with my buddies, and I heard them talking about Jesus, this was in the middle of the Jesus people movement, which you can Google and find out about it if you're under 12, um, <laughs> I should say under 60, <laughs> anyway, uh, this, this, this revival that was going on, I, I heard some people talking about it, and, and I, they didn't even talk directly to me about it. I mean, somebody said something about it, but they didn't actually try to convert me or anything. And I remember going home and I got down on my knees and I said, God, I, I, if you're really there and, 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 and there's really something you have, I just want to open my life to you. And I remember what, there was something that changed. Something came alive. I mean, I was part of that, you know, the late 60s rebellious, you know, anti-establishmentarianistic worldview. You know? In other words, everybody that was in establishment, we, did, we hated Hated teachers, hated policemen, you know, hated, uh, you know, you tried to, they were, we tried to hate our parents, you know, you, you, you hated anybody in authority. And I remember waking up the next morning and I loved everybody. I loved, I loved my teachers. I loved the policemen. I loved the Pope. <laughs> loved my parents. And I was shocked because something was going on in me. Something had changed. Listen, if you've never had that moment in your life where you've crossed the threshold of faith, where you felt new inside, dude, I am telling you, you have something to look forward to. Yeah. But not only do we have those moments of crossing the threshold of faith where we feel like we're born all over again, there's these, this issue of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's a spiritual miracle as well. It's that, it's that when you start moving toward God as a person of faith and you do these things called the classical disciplines, there are things like prayer, opening scripture, listening to worship or worshiping, gathering together, coming to the communion table, having moments of silence, separating into being uh, not only silent, but sometimes being alone. There's something very powerful about being alone. And all of this stuff is basically boring and creepy. You said, you will never be very spiritual if you hate boredom. You got a major in boredom. My kids used to come to me when they were kids and say, dad, I'm bored. I say, man, that's exactly what you want to be. You will never be spiritual if you can't face boredom. Man, just re- just read through the Bible. I mean, I don't care. I mean, I, you know, I appreciate that you're trying to love the Lord and say, oh, it's just wonderful. And, then, and I know the scriptures are wonderful, but you got to go through bore before they ever get wonderful. It is flat out boring to sit down and read the Bible. Amen. And yet, if you push through the boredom, there, there's gold in them hills. 
You get some silence. Turn off your radio when you're going to work or going to the store. Just dare you to get silent. You don't even have to say anything. Just get silent and pretend that Jesus is sitting right there. And just every once in a while, look at him and smile. (laughs) Don't talk to him. Hold his hand. I dare you to do it. I just dare you. If you pretend, you'll be shocked because he actually shows up. Not every time, but sometimes. Which leads me to those jack-in-the-box miracles. I love those. It's when God surprises you. You know, you're, you're doing something traditionally boring. You're not really expecting anything. You're just doing it sort of out of duty. But you're not doing it to try to appease God. You're doing it because you're open. You're kind of looking for Him. And you try to press in a little bit into the boredom. And all of a sudden, you know, reading the Bible in some part. And it seems really boring. And as you just continue to push through falling asleep, pop, God speaks to your heart. It's like this little, and you just go, bing, yes. Or sometimes when you're listening to preachers, oh my gosh, you know, I, I just thank you for listening to us. Because, you know, when I listen to preachers, I mean, a lot of the time I've got to try to listen because I'm trying to wade through getting past the hair <laughs> or lack thereof and, or, or, the, or the mannerisms or something. And, but you know what I found out? If I just press in and listen real intent, no matter how boring that guy is or gal is, Pam, God will speak to me somehow. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a jack-in-the-box miracle. It's a surprise that something touches you and you go, oh, dude, we need those. Because when you get touched by God somehow, when the Spirit encounters you, there's something that awakens in you. It's called fruit of the Holy Spirit. And you remember from Galatians, Two or five rather, but the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love and joy, which is expectation of something good, patience and peace and kindness and goodness, which is motive, faithfulness, gentleness, and some self control. How many could use a little self control? See that does see isn't that odd that it says a fruit of being with God is self control? <laughs> it's really not, it's Holy Ghost self control. It's somehow when you hug and embrace the Holy Spirit and there's an awakening between you and him and an encounter with God. It's like hugging somebody with too much perfume. You walk away, you still stink. (laughs) That's the Holy Ghost. I'm just nice to people and I'm not nice to people. I actually love people and I generally hate people. That's the Holy Spirit. And not only that, but you have the spiritual miracle of getting mugged. God muggings. That's when God just busts you up, man. You think you're so wonderful, and he tells you you're not. And you know the only time people God does that to? People that are really open to him. One time, Jesus said, I have a lot of things to tell you right now, but you can't bear them. See, if you want to just pretend everything's fine, God will leave you alone. But if you say to God, God, I know my life stinketh. And I'm willing, I I want you to tell me, I want you to really change my husband. So I'm just going to pray into this for a while. God, what needs to happen for him to be changed? And you just be horrified as God speaks to you about you. I'm not talking about me. (laughs) Yeah, but I am. You're mugged. When Gail and I first got married you know, back 33 years ago, uh, you know, there used to be some teaching in the middle 70s about uh, how, how the wife should be treated like the queen. And, and, you know, we were trying to figure out how to live together, putting two milkshakes in one glass, you know. The toilet paper goes this way. No, it doesn't go this way. And, you know, all the, all, the, all the issues that you have to mess with as you bring two lives together into one world, Right. And so at one point we were having sort of a disruptive uh, time and it was before church going to a service that we went to. We got in this argument and and I just couldn't understand why she didn't think right. 
which meant like me, right? And she said, you need to treat, treat me like a queen. Oh, it just made me mad. She wasn't acting like one, right? So <laughs> I'm going to church and I start worshiping, you know, just freely because, you know, I know my soul's right. It's her problem. God, would you do something with this woman? You understand you're a man. It's before I knew the verse that God is not a man that he should lie. (laughs) That was a joke. And I kid you not, I said to God, and under my nose, I didn't say it out loud, I'm saying to God, God, she wants me to treat her like a queen, but she's acting like a dog. I prayed that literally. And I heard, I mean surprise, I heard, you're the dog in my heart, in that kind of tone of voice. I mean, I was mugged. God mugged me. I'm telling you, dude, God muggings are sweet, sweet, sweet. They're horrible. They suck. But they yield great fruitfulness in your life. That's why there's always hope. It doesn't matter what circumstance you're in, what situation you're in. There is a way that God will begin to, as he hovers over your life, you'll begin to move out of the emptiness, out of the darkness, out of the heartache, into a place of creative order and good. That's the story we're part of. This is the God who we're connected to. Okay, so there's the spiritual kind. The last one we've got to shut up. The last kind of miracles we're going to talk about this morning, we'll pick it up next time, are the physical miracles. A lot of times when people think about miracles, this is all they think about, are the physical miracles. It's when uh, somehow there's a natural, things going naturally in one direction, they get altered by God's hand. The Bible and history records all kinds of these. Red Sea parting miracles. Physical healing that's a physical miracle. Or, or, or a miracle provision. When you, I mean, God will actually get involved with you in the area of finance where you have a miracle in finance. as a job you would have never gotten. A raise that would have never been anticipated. I mean, somehow he'll move in your life. That's good to know in times like these. Right? That God's got your back. Now, that doesn't mean it'll happen instantly, but it'll happen. If you trust him, Matthew 17, this is a story about Jesus in tax time. Jesus and Peter, they got pinged for taxes, didn't carry any money with them at the time. And so he told Peter, he said, hey, uh, that we won't cause any offense. Go, take, go to the lake, throw out your line, take the first fish you, ca- fish you catch, open his mouth. You're going to find some money in there. Take it out. It'll be enough to pay for your tax and mine. Now, if there's ever a defense for fishing, guys, this... Jesus told him to go fishing. Just trying to obey the Lord here. And who knows but that we might find money in those mouths. It's worth a try. <laughs> I've, seen, I've seen scads of these kinds of miracles over the years. Next time we want to talk about how to get the miraculous, these spiritual miracles, these physical miracles to tick to get ticked up a notch in your life, in my life, so that we can use them more. We'll talk about the role of faith. We'll talk about things that block the miraculous. We'll address what you can do to see more Holy Spirit activity in your life. HSA, Holy Spirit activity. We'll talk about that. But let me close with this thought. Contrary to what you may have heard (laughs) preachers like me say, Not everything we pray for happens. 
I wish it would. Um, That being said, there are some rules to the miraculous. There are some rules to answered prayer that if we utilize them, we actually have a better shot. Everybody say, better shot. shot. We actually have a better shot at seeing things actually change if we learn to operate in the rules. It's not unlike diet and health. How many of you have heard that if you eat right, exercise, eliminate stress, get enough sleep, you'll live longer? Right? Those are good rules. You, should, you and I should fight to eat right, especially as we get older. We need to fight to exercise, eliminate stress, get enough sleep. If we do these basic rules, chances are, chances are, we'll live longer. Now, the reality is, if you do all those rules, if you eat enough, exercise, eliminate stress, get enough sleep, and they go downtown, here in Green Bay or any other city, and step out without watching and get hit by a bus, you're going to die. Well, somebody who's uninformed would say, well, Bill, he ain't right. He exercised. He got out of stress. He got enough sleep. And the dude died. He's 39 years old. Right there in Green Bay. That stuff doesn't work. No, it works. He just got hit by a bus. See, you might eat right, exercise, sleep, do, get, eliminate stress, and have some genes in your system that open you up to a debilitating disease that kills you young. And so somebody said, well, I know Janet, she did all this and she died young. Yeah, that doesn't mean that eating right, exercise doesn't help. Doesn't, for the most part, add length of life, life to people, right? You, you could be doing all those right things and go out right now, God forbid, and get you a big old fat burger that's tainted with E. coli and go to see Jesus before we do. Right? The reality is, however, that the truth is that chances are better if you follow the rules. If you eat right, exercise, do all that stuff, you have a better chance at living long. But those rules are not absolute guarantees. That's what we're saying when we talk about miracles. The rules of faith, the rules of prayer. You learn them, you have the best chance at experiencing the miraculous. But they're not things that put us in control. There are other things that enter the context that we don't know. There's sovereignty. There's other kind of issues that we don't know what's going on. But what we're supposed to do is trust God, trust for miracles in the midst of it, knowing that that's our best shot at it, right? Faith is not witchcraft. Witchcraft is, I'm going to control that person. I'm going to control that circumstance. I've got this book. I'm going to take these incantations and incantation them. And then I'm going to make the circumstances change and make the people change. See, sometimes people with thoughts of faith and, you know, think they can grab the Bible verses and throw them at the people and throw them at, and they're acting like witches. We're not witches and warlocks. We're Christians. Faith is not a control issue. It's, a, it's an issue where we throw ourselves into the control of God's hand and we get the best shot at the miraculous. We'll talk about that later. Have a wonderful week. Thank you, Pastor Ed. I'm going to invite our ushers, if they would come as we prepare for communion this morning and our worship team as they return back to the stage. How many here this morning would like to experience a miracle? I'm sure most of us would agree with that. Many of you have already experienced miracles, and I'm sure there's some here this morning that are 
even as Pastor Ed was preaching, has been, been talking and talking a little bit about miracle and, and what miracles look like and how they can impact our life. And particularly as he was talking a little bit about that redemptive miracle, talking about as the scriptures talks about being born again. And you probably were sitting there and, think, and beginning to just sense that, boy, you may even feeling a little uncomfortable. A little uncomfortable because you're feeling something happening in your heart and your life. And, and I want to say, suggest to you this morning, it's the Holy Spirit convicting you of your sin, nudging you this morning. Being born again, a miracle. That scripture was read earlier. Becoming a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. That's a miracle. There's going to be someone here this morning. Right here at this campus. And I'm sure at each one of our campuses. And wherever the gospel is being preached this morning. It's people are going to be experiencing a miracle of salvation. Going from death into life. Having an encounter with God. And you may say this morning. Well Pastor Latham. How does that happen? What, 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 what do I need? You know, what do I need to do? Even in the, in the scripture, there was a time where the truth was being spoken and preached and the whole picture of, of what it meant to be born again. And the question was asked by the people, that, what do I need to do to be saved? Well, I've got good news for you this morning. I'm going to help you with that. In a few minutes, I'm going to invite you, all of us together, to pray a prayer. A prayer of repentance, a prayer of confession, a prayer of asking God to come into your life. Step out in faith. And it'll be the beginning place, the starting place of this miracle in your life. I'm going to invite all of us to pray it together. But if you this morning have never prayed this before, never prayed it from, from your heart, really meaning it and saying, God, I need you. I need to experience this new creation, this born again experience. That miracle can happen in your heart and your life today. Beginning process of that. Same thing as Pastor Ed was saying, you may wake up tomorrow morning, go to work and suddenly find that you kind of you love your boss a whole lot more than you did on Friday. That can be kind of confusing and he may find it confusing as well, he or she. But because life has been birthed up, birthed in you. So would you bow your heads with me this morning? And I'm just going to pray a simple prayer and invite all of us to pray together. Not that everyone here this morning needs to experience this miraculous uh, this miracle of new birth but as we pray together those that are praying it for the first time it helps them an opportunity for them to be able to pray it and be a part of our prayer and not feel uncomfortable so would you join with me and just repeat this simple prayer after me this morning would you join with me and say dear Lord Jesus something in my heart tells me I need you I now confess my sin and repent of my sin and by faith ask you to come into my life as my Savior and my Lord. If you just keep your head bowed just for another moment. If you prayed that prayer this morning and for the first time and you meant it from, within your, from your heart, I want to just invite you just to look up at me right now. Just take a moment, just look up at me. Thank you for doing that. All that is is just a a confirmation, affirmation of what you've just done. Saying, yes, Pastor Lathan, I just prayed that prayer. And I, faith, are trusting that there's a new birth that's just taken place in, in my heart, in my life. May God bless you for that.